to the Made for Hope podcast. I'm Sarah R. Ward, and I'm here with my co-host, the lovely Katie Epling. (laughs) Hi, Katie. Hey, Sarah. I'm so glad that I can be here today because I think the thing that we're talking about is something that I need to hear. (laughs) Oh, yes. I always feel that way. It seems like every guest, the topic is something I need to hear. (laughs) So I hope that other listeners feel the same today. On today's show, we're talking with Jasmine Frank about how to embrace seasons of waiting, no matter whether you're waiting for a relationship or the fulfillment of a dream or the right career. Let's face it, waiting is hard for everyone. Mm -hmm. So Jasmine is a teacher and speaker on all things Bible and the author of several Bible studies, including In the Waiting, which is the topic for today, and her brand new one called Finally Free, Embracing a Life of Abundance and Rest. Her mission is to help ordinary people love God, love His story, and live devoted. So welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hey, Sarah, Katie. I am so excited to talk with you guys. Thanks for having me today. We're so excited to talk with you too, hear a little more about you and why you talk about waiting. So tell us a little about your story of how you started writing Bible studies, how you got into that area. Yeah. So you gave me this question in advance and I was sitting down trying to think, how did this start? Because (laughs) I did not intend, like I didn't set out to write Bible studies Um, for as long as I can remember. I wanted to be a writer and a teacher and I went to college for an education degree. But while I was there, I got really involved with our small group ministry on campus and I led small groups for several years and was in student leadership there. And then um, once I graduated and I was teaching in a middle school classroom for a little while, I was also writing online and doing some blogging and writing about my faith journey. And um, this started in my own faith life, seeing a lack. I have worked in a Christian bookstore. I (laughs) I have read avidly a whole bunch of Christian resources. And when it came to Bible study, there just felt like either resources were uh, lacking certain things like teaching me how to actually study the Bible. They were really great in content, but I wasn't gaining any skills to, you know, if I wanted to go study the prophets myself, I had to go dig up a Bible study, maybe if the one existed that I wanted, Um, or they were just kind of shallow. I mean, there are some really good Bible study writers out there, but a few too many were just... You know, they were, they were surface level and I've been reading and studying the Bible for a long time. And I've kind of started getting to the point where like the resources I'm looking for don't exactly exist. And so I started creating some, a lot of the Bible study, all of them really that I write, whether it's a free resource on my website or something like in the waiting and finally free where it's a tangible book they, those resources come out of a place of need or a question I have, a curiosity, something I'm wanting to dig into. And so this whole Bible studying thing has been my teaching skills and my writing skills and my love for the Bible all coming together in this very unexpected place of ministry. Um, I thought I was going to be a classroom teacher for my entire life. And I left after two years because it just wasn't a good fit. And ended up, you know, finding this place of, of Bible study writing. So 
I guess the short answer to that question is I, I started writing Bible studies because these were the resources that I needed and then realized that as I was sharing some of those things, you know, on social media and on my website and through emails, that they were resonating and people were looking for the kind of resources that go deep into scripture, that provide space for us to connect emotionally with God and that teach skills so that once somebody finishes a Bible study with me, they are equipped to go and use those skills in their own personal study. So Jasmine, in our podcast, we tend to look at three acts. So act one is the problem. And as we're talking about dealing with waiting, um, you know, we often just look at that as, as a problem. Um, what led you to write about waiting? Again, the simple answer is because I needed to. <laughs> um, I just, I, uh, so my waiting story is tied heavily to singleness. And when I was a teenager, I, I think it was a God planted idea, really, that there was, you know, I was looking around my hallways and seeing how relationships were happening with my peers. And I just really believed that there was more to relationships than what I was seeing. And so I, I prayed this very bold prayer of Lord, I want you to write my love story. And, you know, at 14, that's a really mm -hmm. romantic idea. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I think I was functioning under this impression that, you know, that story would be written during college, which didn't happen. And, you know, now I'm in my late twenties and I'm still, what I say often is painfully single. I'm about as single as you can get. And I hit a point a few years back where I was like, okay, well, it was a great prayer, kind of regret praying it. And <laughs> now I got to figure out, you know, if this waiting thing, waiting for marriage, if that even is something the Lord has for me in the future, I, I need to not be miserable anymore because the waiting was taking a toll on me and I kept expecting God to move and he wasn't. And it was kind of creating this, um, this, this barrier, this distance between him and me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that. I highly value my relationship with God and to have that kind of threatened by something I didn't have. I, ended up going to the Lord and like, okay, if we're going to be here for a while, if, if I'm going to be waiting and being single for the foreseeable future, I need to know how to do this well, instead of always looking to what I don't have, I need to, I need to be able to draw near God right here, right now. And so that, that desire, that need, that desperate need led me to scripture. And if you look through the Bible, there is person after person, after person, after person, waiting for something, whether it's, you know, the, the patriarchs who were waiting for um, children, you know, Sarah waiting for a child or um, Egypt, uh, Israel in Egypt, waiting for release from slavery, or I mean, on and on and on and on. There are people that are waiting. And so I started digging into their stories and I started looking at what are they waiting for how are they waiting? What are their struggles in the waiting? What can I learn from them? And ultimately, how is God interacting with them and, and drawing near in the waiting? And so that personal study, which I think I worked on, I started it about two years before In the Waiting came out. I started just making notes in a journal and, and doing the personal study. And then the Lord was like, okay, we're going to put this on the docket for, you know, fall 2020. And that's when we're going to publish that. And 
of course, the Lord knew that that book would be released <laughs> when we had already spent, you know, eight months in a lockdown and pandemic yeah. and, mm-hmm. and we were all waiting. And so it became, you know, that personal need then became something that we all, we all needed yes. to sit in. I think you said it so well when you said that we don't wait well. <laughs> no matter no matter if it's during the pandemic, you know, waiting for things to go back to normal. I think most people have a story of waiting at some point in their life. Um, wouldn't you say that? Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I would say we probably have several, although yeah. the weights are of varying degrees. So like singleness, right. that's a very long wait. It's a very heavy weight, but I've also had places of, you know, waiting for that financial provision to come in so I can pay a bill and that may be a week or a month or even a day. Um, So we're all waiting is a consistent piece of our life. And I don't think we really are able to acknowledge that. And so one of the things I wanted to do within the waiting was really invite people into the tension of waiting of it is good to have desires. I think that's, I mean, it's good to have desires. I want to sit there for a second because in church culture, I feel like there's this idea that yes, we're all waiting and there's a whole like waiting for Jesus to come back and entering into seasons like Lent and Advent where waiting is a focus. But I think sometimes in our personal waiting seasons, there's almost this, um, I don't know, like sour taste to waiting. Like if you're waiting, then you must not be content. And so you need to focus on being content in the Lord and, and that'll solve all of your problems of why this wait is so hard. And I have found that that's just not true. I think yeah. sometimes we can battle with discontentment and that's something we really need to deal with with the Lord. But more often than not, I'm seeing this kind of both and throughout many areas of faith, waiting being one of them, where we can tend, where we can carry the tension of wanting and not having, but also being fully and completely present where we are with my own story. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm single and I want to be married. I want that desperately some days, but I'm also, I love where I'm at and I love my life and I love my job and I love my community. And I, I've learned to carry both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you know, why we're not good at waiting is because maybe we don't feel the space to carry the tension of waiting. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so true. I I think a lot of times we think that the we need to get out of waiting as quickly as possible. We don't, yeah. we don't see it as a place where we can have joy. And yet we can, like you said, it's both and. And I think yeah. it can be a really transformative time too. It just doesn't feel that way because it's right. painful some some days. Now, we want to talk a little more about the helpful rhythms and practices to waiting in the second act of the show. And you stated something. You said that the only thing that you found consistently helpful in waiting seasons is to keep taking steps toward God, meeting him in the waiting. And that what that looks like practically has been surprisingly simple though not always easy. So Mm -hmm. tell us how we can do more of that in our daily lives if we're in a time of waiting. Yeah, so when I say it's, you know, drawing near to God in these kinds of seasons is simple. I mean, it's like stupid simple. It's one of those things (laughs) where we, I think we overcomplicate it. And and the core of this, and 
there's going to be several different ways this can play out for each of us and in our different waiting seasons. But the core of it is investing in our relationship with God of getting in his space and letting him into our space. And so what that can look like, I mean, you could range the gamut of spiritual disciplines. And um, I have learned in my own story that in order to draw near to God, I first and foremost need to make space for him in my life, whether that is, you know, a morning um, devoted time or evening prayer and meditation time, um, something outside of the Sunday service and the group Bible studies where it is me and Jesus. And I am letting him into every aspect of my life. I'm opening my heart to him in very vulnerable and honest ways. And I'm just, I'm letting him see me. And I, I think I have felt in the past that our faith should be kind of perfect. Like there's, there's not a lot of room for, exploration and we have to find the right way to do this. And then we stay the course and, and it kind of feels like it felt like for a long time, this tightrope act of, I don't want to upset God and I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And I think that translated into how I related with him. I was all about performance and all about making sure I did what I thought he expected of me. But as the years have passed and, and the Lord has been working on me to let go of this sense of performance, he's been showing me that all he really wants is relationship. All he really wants is for me to let him in. And sometimes it's really difficult. I've had to have some really difficult conversations of saying, you know what, Lord, sometimes I blame you for this thing. I blame you for my singleness. I gave you this thing and you haven't done anything with it or I've had to deal with doubts about his faithfulness and his ability to provide for me. But all of those conversations factor into drawing near to him because I'm being honest with him and I'm having conversation with him. So it, you know, in the waiting seasons, especially when you're at the point of the waiting cycle where it's just hard and it just sucks and it just, we feel distant from God that's where maybe the spiritual disciplines that we have been practicing, the daily Bible reading, the prayer, the verse memorization, maybe those don't fit anymore. And it's okay to set those aside to try something different. Um, I have been known to let go of my reading plans for seasons and Mm -hmm. skip Bible reading altogether for a week or two on end and, and just find different ways to connect with God that allow me to actually get into his space instead of checking off the good Christian girl box. And so I'll go on a prayer walk or I'll lie in my bed and just play worship music for a while, or maybe I'll pull out my paints and do like a creative prayer project, something like that. But the whole goal is relationship. That's the simple answer is get in his space. God is already here, but sometimes we don't realize that we don't press into the fact that he is, um, he just wants to be with us and, and we have to let down our guard enough with him to let him into our spaces, including our, our heart spaces and those hard places of waiting. So Jasmine, I love, um, how you talk about rhythms because I think that just gives this connotation that's a little less rigid than sometimes we think about, um, with our faith that, you know, you mentioned like having that checklist 
where we can get into that mentality of, I just have to do these sort of things and then life will be good or God will do what I want if I'm, you know, marking off all the right uh, check boxes. But this idea of rhythms, it's it's less rigid and it gives us some some um, ability to, to create habits that will maybe create some discipline in our relationship, but not lock us in. Um, so how can we kind of help to create some of those rhythms? Yeah, I love this topic actually, because this is something... I have really been pressing into, um, so I teach a lot about, you know, what it looks like to live devoted and what it looks like to love God and, and his word. And I think a lot of that happens seasonally. I mean, if you look at the rest of our lives outside of our faith, you know, sports seasons, school seasons, holiday seasons, our life, weather seasons, um, our life functions in seasons. And so I think our faith there's a lot more freedom in relationship with God when you realize that our faith can do that too. And so when we're talking about spiritual rhythms, I think it's a mix of discipline. I think it's drawing on, you know, spiritual disciplines, those regular routines, but it's also mixing in some flexibility and, and remembering what it looks like to love God freely. And so I think with the rhythms, I mean, I, I'm just going to talk through a couple ideas and really um, uh, spaces in our lives where rhythms can work. I think there's an importance of a daily rhythm. So for me, I've I've been establishing this rhythm of a morning time with the Lord where I take some time to journal and I read some scripture and maybe I'll read from a devotional or a spiritual formation book and just sit in God's word for a while. And then I've also been adding this year, it's a new thing of an evening rhythm where I'm winding down from the night. I do a little bit of stretching and a scripture meditation from the Daily Spill podcast. And um, and then I go through, I have a journal that I found at Half Price Books one day and it's, uh, it's a prayer of examine journal. And so it walks me through the rhythm of um, the examine prayer where you thank God for the day and kind of examine what happened and, and where you saw God, where you experienced him and you confess, you know, take some time for confession and receive forgiveness and then, um, and pray over the coming day. And, um, and then also claiming some joy and, and doing some gratitude. And so there's this day daily rhythm where I make that intentional space to connect with God And all of those things within my daily rhythms are very different. They help me connect with God in different ways. And so I think incorporating rhythms that allow you to connect emotionally and physically and, um, and mentally with the Lord is important. I've, I've got weekly rhythms. So I've got the weekly rhythm of Sabbath. So I take Saturday off and, I don't do any of my writing work. I try not to do any housework. I'm generally not running errands or anything like that. I just take a day to rest and be in community and just do some of those fun things I don't normally get to do. And then you've also got the rhythms of Sunday service. And then I've got a couple community connection points um, with small group and accountability group during the week. And then, you know, the larger rhythms that function with our calendar. So Lent Um, with, you know, the 40 days approaching Easter, preparing our hearts for Easter, maybe 
fasting, reading some scripture or, or a Lent focused reading plan, the same with Advent. Um, so the, the purpose of rhythm is to give yourself a, a space to connect with God. But like you were saying, Katie, it's not permanent. It's, it can be yeah. changed. It can be set aside for a while. It can be quit completely and, and replaced with something else, but it is, it's, it's, Embracing rhythm with God is embracing the kind of relationship we have with each other as humans. You know, I, when I go to hang out with a friend of mine or a member of my family, we're not doing the same exact thing every day. We might, you know, go meet for coffee on Tuesdays at five, but we talk about different things. I might get a different kind of coffee that time. We might try a different coffee shop or maybe we skip the coffee altogether and just go walk around the park. Like there's the point is we're spending time together and we've got this rhythm of I'm going to set aside this time with you, but there's the freedom to uh, change up what that time looks like. So in act three, let's talk about the importance of support and help when we're in a time of waiting, because I think that's really crucial for getting through those waiting times is having community. So talk to us a little bit about how our community is an important part of waiting. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, community is one of those hard topics to talk about in waiting because not everybody has what they need and it (laughs) breaks my heart. Um, And to be honest, for a long time, I didn't have the community that would support me well in waiting. Um, Community is one of those things where kind of like a bullseye, we have different layers of it. And not all of our, our layers of community can wait well with us. And what I mean by that is I have people in my life who are really good at having fun with me and are really good when I just need to get out of the house but when it comes to talking about deep things, you know, they're they're not the close friend. They are more like the acquaintance I have fun with, but I'm we're not going to sit there and dump out all the hard things that are happening. I wish I could do that in every relationship, but that's just not it's just not how it is. However, I have uh, my life group at church. There's about 10 or 12 of us, uh, depending on the seasons of life. And I have a smaller accountability group, just three of us women. And both of those communities, when we talk about godly community and the church and God's body, that those are the people I think about because um, we have these these kind of established um, expectations within our groups that everybody's emotions are welcome. And so, you know, me as a single person, I've had to deal with the fact that some of the people from my community are getting married and starting relationships and they're having their own emotions about that. And I'm having my emotions about the fact that, you know what, they, they're getting something and I'm excited about that, but also I want it too. And so we're able to carry each other's emotions. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets the space to be honest about where they're at. And I actually think that deepens community by saying, you know what, Jasmine, your, your singleness matters. And the fact that Um, this other girl just started a new relationship and she's nervous and excited about it. Like we can carry both of those and support both of you and I can support her and she can support me. And so finding those spaces where, whether it's one other person 
or a small group or, or, you know, a handful of people that can give space for your emotions and not feel threatened by them, I think is really important. And that honestly takes time that both of these groups started a few years back. And so we have a decent history where we started out with the intention of we're going to build community together. And the life group that was, you know, was focused on a larger group of people going through scripture, studying the Bible, but also taking time to pray with each other every week. Whereas with my accountability group, that was formed with the intention of we've got some hard things going on and we need some support. And so while they both make space for that honesty, they do it in different ways. So I think that's that's one thing is finding at least one other person that can hold your emotions honestly, that, that, and there's no, like, nobody feels threatened by, you know, just because you're having these emotions that they can't have theirs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is just consistency. I mean, community is formed by vulnerability and consistency. Relate, that's how relationships grow. That's how they form. And, you know, sometimes that means being the brave one and say, hey, like, do you want to set a recurring date to to go um, go have a conversation, go grab a coffee, go catch up with each other? But committing to consistency when our life group started meeting, I didn't want to be there. Like, <laughs> I was one of the least. <laughs> I didn't want another thing on the schedule. I, you know, I didn't know all of the people very well. A couple of them I kind of knew. They were all at my church. So I knew you know, names and a little bit of background, but to enter into a living room space where everybody's just kind of, you know, raw and vulnerable. I wasn't sure I had the emotional stamina to do that, but I made a commitment that I was, I was going to keep showing up even when I didn't want to. And after about six months or so, we all kind of passed in this phase of, no, we want this. And when Mm pandemic hit we we kept meeting on zoom which was fine like it was it it served its purpose and it allowed us to keep building community together but as soon as we got the go-ahead to be in the same room even if we were six feet apart wearing masks the whole time we we were adamant we are not going back to zoom if we can help it because this matters and we're valuing safety but we're also valuing community because we're all in this stage where we just need people we need people who get it who will walk through it with us and who will just let me be honest and in pain or struggle and obviously offer encouragement and affirmation and remind me of Jesus and everything. But, you know, back to the idea of tension, they can hold that tension with me. So if we're looking for community, if we're going to um, wait, well, we need community and we may have to go out and find it. Um, We need to ask God for it. But we also need to be consistent and and we need to find those honest spaces. I think that um, that idea of living in the tension, it's that's so important because we we don't like it. <laughs> it's tense. Um, and I just know, you know, from various life experiences, but I think most recently or most often, I think in my experience as having a child with special needs, mm-hmm. um, in different circles, in order to have um, my experience that maybe doesn't line up with somebody else's experience, there's often this idea that one or the other needs to just be put aside. Yeah. If somebody else is 
pregnant and they're really hoping that they have a child with no special needs that either they're being um, disrespectful of my experience or I need to just kind of put my feelings aside and, and recognize that, you know, their hope, but really there, there's room for both. Yep. yep. That we can honor both of those sides of the coin. And, and I, that's true in waiting and in relationships and, and all these things that it's okay to kind of come up where there, there's this intersection of two very different experiences and, and different paths and they're both valid and we can hold them both together. You know, community is an important part of waiting, but that, you know, sometimes you've been part of community that, that wasn't supportive of mm-hmm. the season that you're in and the waiting that you're in. So how can we do that better? How can we better support people who are in a season of waiting? Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, I think, you know, if we're the ones that are welcoming in other people who are waiting I think providing that space for them to be honest. And that may mean asking questions. And I know when I'm asked hard questions, like, how are you doing? Um, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine a few years back and things were going really hard. And I wasn't quite as close to that friend as I am now. And I remember sitting on her couch and she's like, so how's it going? And I was like, "Eh, you know, this is hard, (laughs) but things are okay. And then she, she kind of paused and stared at me. She's like, no, like, I actually want to know, how are you Mm. doing? And it ended up being one of the most impactful conversations I've had with her um, because she gave me space. That's become a really important word to me is just giving people the space to be honest, because it's likely that they don't get very much of that when we're talking about waiting. So giving somebody the space asking some very intentional questions and they may choose not to answer that. And that's okay. We need to respect the boundaries, but at least providing the opportunity for them to talk about that. And then also this kind of stems from my own journey of singleness, but I know there are, you know, any, any season of waiting and struggle, there are those cliches that you just don't want to hear. And so avoiding the trite comments, I think, I think sometimes silence says more mm-hmm. and is more encouraging um, than than the caged, you know, quote unquote Christian answers. And that's not to say we don't reply and we don't encourage that. I think we need to be very discerning, I think is the word I want to use. Be very discerning when we're offering words of advice or um, encouragement, because mm-hmm. even if we mean well, it may not be received. And I, I, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of someone on the other end who might be a little bit like me and and knows somebody who's waiting and just wants to make sure they're taking care of people and loving people. And that, you know, saying this is not meant to scare you away from saying anything. Right. Um, if you're following the Lord, you've got the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. And also you're trying to love this person well. And I think even if your words don't come out that way, I think... Um, continuing to show love to that person and let them know, you know what, you are supported. I'm here for you. One of the most helpful things I've been told in the last few years is we're in this with you and we don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, And I know you're having trouble believing that God is good and that he's good to you and that there's abundance and blessing here and that he's faithful, but you know what, you can lean on our faith, borrow some of our faith. Mm -hmm. And so being that kind of um, rock 
for somebody who is waiting can mean a lot. It can mean a whole lot. Mm. I love that part that you said that saying we're in this with you is just so affirming, so encouraging, and many times so much better than trying to offer advice, even though we might mean well. So as we wrap things up today, Jasmine, let's talk about and transition to your new Bible study, Finally Free, Embracing Seasons of Abundance and Rest. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? I would love to. So again, as with any study, this was born out of uh, my own personal experience. And so my life group had taken some time to study the books of Israel's history, a lot of the Old Testament. And the first one we landed in was uh, Exodus. And we walked into it with the purpose of, we need to know who God is, Mm -hmm. and we need to know what we can learn from Israel's story. And so finally free is this odd combination of what I gleaned from that study, along with my own journey of, of, learning how to live freely. My verse, my life verse right now for this season has been Galatians 5.1, where Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I've just been meditating on that and thinking long about, okay, if, if the goal of freedom is to live free, what does that look like? And so finally free is a six week study and it takes you through the entire book of Exodus reading a couple chapters a day and interspersed between days of study, we're also taking time to meditate on scripture from passages throughout the Bible that relate to this topic of freedom. And we're practicing and developing this rhythm of a weekly Sabbath. And this is something I've not done before. All of my previous studies have just been study oriented and focused on building Bible study skills and Bible knowledge and providing those interactions Um, with God on an emotional level and reflective level. But this one, finally free and studying through Exodus, if you study the book of Exodus, you'll find this theme, this thread throughout of Sabbath and rest. And that one of the defining things that God teaches Israel as they leave Egypt, you know, for generations, they were under Pharaoh's hand in Egypt, and he demanded endless work and endless labor, and they didn't get a break. They didn't get rest. They got beaten up instead. And and then when Moses comes and says, hey, the Lord says, let my people go, their workload increases. And the Lord, you know, on the other side of the Red Sea and at Mount Sinai, as he's delivering the law and speaking to the people, he's continually almost like comparing himself to Pharaoh and saying, I am not like that king. I am not like the ruler of Egypt. I am a God who protects you and provides for you. And I offer rest. And so you see the Lord building into Israel's law and their weekly rhythm, this Sabbath of a day off. We don't work. And we see um, throughout their year, their calendar year, many celebrations where they're instructed to take a day or a week or several days off and just worship and celebrate and be in community. And so I felt like we couldn't really study Exodus without also pressing into those rhythms of rest and embracing the God who is abundant and abundantly good and and trusting that, you know, I can... I can rest because God's going to take care of me. And that was something Israel has to learn. Had to learn. And I think that's something I know I'm still learning. And so the whole goal of this study is to really 
use Israel story and, and use these practices of scripture meditation and Sabbath to press into that freedom we already have. Mm -hmm. I say many times throughout the, the book, we're set free so that we can live free and we need to embrace that. We are all already free. So what does it look like to live into that? That's part of our identity as, as children of God, as Christians. And I just think there's so much more to our life that we haven't even realized because we're so caught up in trying to get free. And, and that's something we already have. You can find out more about Jasmine at jasmineandfrank.com and check out her new Bible study, Finally Free. It's on Amazon and we'll have links to her studies and website in our show notes. So thanks so much for joining us. Mm-hmm.